really good rent. Go bugs. <laughs> but they do need fiber. So the more we can eat higher fiber foods, the better. But with respect to respecting the math, that there's no calories in the fiber that add to you. And a lot of us, when we think of food, the first word that comes to mind is calories. <clears throat> so we're trying to like make that more specific. So almonds are 16% fiber, right? There's lots of good things in there, but a lot of it, that's just food for bugs in bulk. Apples, on the other hand, are only 3.7% fiber, not very much at all, but we're gonna learn later, they have something so important and unique in them for the bugs, not just regular fiber, that apple pectin is actually used as a medicine, which is why an apple a day keeps the doctor away. Not that I'm hoping you guys get rid of me or anything, but you know, just, <laughs> just saying. Uh, avocados, again, a really interesting uh, food that we have access to, almost 10%. But what's unique in them is they have a carbohydrate that actually gets digested by bugs higher up. Right? And that's a really uncommon thing for those kind of fibers, because usually it's sugars that get digested at the top, fibers that get digested at the bottom, and then there's this kind of no man's land in the middle, whereas avocados can actually start readjusting that uh, kind of from the middle out. Oats, as we all know, is really good for a lot of reasons, and they actually have 11% fiber, almost as much as almonds. Michael? Yeah? We can't hear you anymore. You can't hear me anymore? <laughs> Can you hear me now? Yes, thank you. You might want to back up. I, I heard Apple. <laughs> apple. Okay. Wow, that was weird. An apple a day kept the doctor away. Okay, good. Apple a day, doctor away. Avocados are also really good. They have a unique fiber that breaks down in the middle of your digestive tract uh, in a way that bugs can get access to them. So they're very good for most of us. Oh, it's very high in fiber, 11%, uh, really good for bulking, dragging cholesterol and other uh, things that are not bad for you, but if they're damaged, they could be. Um, Broccoli is only 4%. What's interesting is rice is only 0.4%. Right? So you look at a bowl of rice, you're like, wow, that's a big, must be a lot of fiber in there. Unfortunately, you digest 96% of it, or 99.6% of it, so um, it's not really good for feeding the bugs, right? But if you're having your rice in the sense of a stir fry with lots of vegetables around it, then you're gonna get those calories and, and uh, the bugs can work on something else, which is why rice is the most popular food in the most overpopulated areas, because it's super easy to grow and you get almost 100% uh, of the calories out of it, and it's one of the least dangerous foods if it's not brown. So, pretty interesting. Okay, <clears throat> an important distinction to make uh, around flours, in the sense of baking. Uh, a lot of people wanna use almond flour and stuff like that, which makes sense in, in most cases, instead of say a, a wheat flour. But we have to respect something really weird about uh, carbohydrates because some starches and fibers are called cellular, like a potato, it, it grows very uh, bit by bit, pushes things out of the way to make room for itself, and needs a lot of a different kind of fiber matrix to actually exist in the world, like a carrot. A carrot, when you look at it, if it's only this big, you could eat it raw. If it's this big, you could probably eat it raw. If it's this big and the middle of it's all yellow and there's only a tiny bit of red around it, or orange around it, 
the, you should be boiling or cooking the middle part because it's a, a, such a dense kind of cellular uh, starch that it's going to be more fiber than, than food. Right? So I think we just want to expect the, uh, respect the kind of muscles that your food is made of in the sense of how it has to move things around to grow. <clears throat> Whereas if you look at what's called acellular starch, what you're doing, uh, pretend I have a big huge water balloon at the end of my hand. Well, it's not big yet. And I'm just going to keep throwing carbohydrates in there as a storage uh, uh, tactic for my little kids to grow up later. Because if I'm a rice plant and I'm growing rice, I want my rice kids to go and get blown away on the wind or eaten by somebody and pooped out somewhere else. And then they'd have all that starch and sugar and energy to grow up into a plant. Problem is, <clears throat> humans have evolved around cellular starches up until a hard, constant agriculture. So these acellular starches are really new in the sense of evolution, and they contain almost no nutrients, and they contain almost no fiber. So you're basically eating sugar for you and sugar for the bugs that are the highest up, which is why candida, dysbiosis, SIBO, all these things are happening to people, you know, why people have so many dental problems, because we keep eating the wrong food as the main things we eat. Once you bring bread into your house, you're going to have toast every day. I mean, why wouldn't you have toast every day? Oh. Like, get rid of your toaster. <laughs> anyway, so I'll just make an example of this because you know it's one thing to respect that you know all these molecules are filling up a water balloon or a bag and <clears throat> they're not very nutritious. But what's even scarier is when you take one molecule of the starch out of something like wheat or rice. It's called amylopectin. It's a really dense uh, stored molecule. Um, it's got 160,000 to 200,000 molecules of glucose per molecule. So when you take a bowl of rice, and you take a scoop of that bowl of rice, and you're chewing up and swallowing it, every molecule in the rice is hundreds of thousands of glucose molecules. So of course the bugs are like, woo, <clears throat> free food. And your insulin metabolism is going, damn, push-ups like crazy, just to try and put it away. And you wonder why people are having a hard time uh, with weight, because we don't work like homesteaders anymore, but we eat like homesteaders who are rich. We get the fancy food, right? Oops. So let's look at this idea of nutrient density in a little more of a practical way in the sense of what to do. So what to do? Um, <clears throat> let's look at the nutrient dense things that we have as plants, animals, fats, and herbs. So we're going to start with uh, animal foods. Eggs, ta-da! Our favorite friend, unless you're one of the unlucky ones. Or if you do want to give your immune system a bit of a break from the possibility that eggs are irritating you, focus on duck eggs or focus on no eggs, or at least make sure you're only doing eggs three days a week. I would still say for most people at some point during this process, you're going to want to spend at least two weeks free of everything that's bad for humans, and we're going to sneak up on that, so don't worry about doing that right away. But uh, as we get kind of into a respectful relationship with modern immunity, I think it just makes sense for all of us to say, let's just stop kicking it in the face. Just give it a break, right? And just in case, because it's going to save you hundreds of dollars in lab tests. Right? So instead of finding out what, what's uh, bad for you, just stop eating anything that's bad for you. Boring, but it works. <laughs> livers. A lot of people think liver is full of bad stuff. It's actually full of the good stuff that helps you deal with the bad stuff. So when you're eating liver, you're eating the most nutrient-dense chemical factory in the world. Organic baby cow livers who live on grass would probably be the best choice. In fact, you can find those in most supermarkets now, organic baby cow livers because our calf livers, because, well, most people actually give a crap nowadays and they know what they're doing. 
<clears throat> wild game. If you don't have access to that, you don't. Uh, there are some people who kind of farm wild game, and I'm not really that apprised of their farming methods, so it's hard to say whether or not wild game would still be considered wild. But I can't see someone taming a deer into eating oats out of a trough at this point, because I'm sure I would just say, I'm going to go back to something I remember how to do. So even if you're getting wild game from those bigger like elk farms and deer farms, it's probably still relatively wild in the sense of what they eat to live. <clears throat> but the more wild they are, the more they're going to be eating medicine plants, and then what their, their liver would have would be even better. So if you can find wild game, then do that, because that's it's as good as you're going to get. Salmon is the most nutrient-dense uh, seafood uh, most people would eat. Uh, I don't know a lot of people who want to eat ulek and grease or sardines, unless you're down with sardines, but they're pretty close. Um, Grass-fed beef would be so much more superior uh, than grain-fed beef, uh, especially if it's organic. I'm not going to get into the numbers right now, but I'll just say quickly, the kind of fat, the volume of fat, and the number of antibiotics and steroids that are stored in the fat of a factory-raised animal is doing more harm to people who eat that food than I think anything else we do, especially if you fry it. Fried fats and cholesterols full of antibiotics and steroid hormones. Hmm, that sounds yummy. Right? So that's, that's why a lot of problems are going bad. And free-range chickens are good because, again, you're, if you get that whole chicken, try and get the feet. Uh, the more you can cook this stuff down and get all of it in you, the, the more you're going to get all, all of the benefit. <clears throat> when you look at plant foods that are nutrient-dense, we all know kale is the somehow champion of being a vegetable. Collards, sprouts, spinach, and seaweed are the most nutrient-dense plants you can get. I would say to anyone, if you want to dive into the kale collards thing, make sure that you blanch it first. They're both high in something called oxalic acid we'll come back to. But I just want to make sure everyone's like, oh, that will be bad. Uh, sprouts, put your sprouts on everything you can because now you have to chew your food because it's really hard to swallow a sprout without kind of gagging on it because it gets stuck in your throat. It's called that an old grandma ninja tactic. Here, Billy, eat that pot of stew. You put the sprouts on there, Billy's got to eat the whole thing. A little drizzle of extra oil on top, salad dressing, mostly oil. Now you have a sprout salad on top of your stew, so it's like a sundae made out of meat, vegetables, and sprouts. Okay, I'm still saying yum, but I can, I can sense that some people are going, that's not a sundae. <laughs> spinach, if it's baby spinach, eat it all day, every day. If it's big spinach, it's kind of like kale. You want to you wanna blanch it. If you're a person who's down with your vegetable, vegetable smoothies in the morning, <clears throat> Sunday afternoon, blanch all your greens, put them in Ziploc bags, put them in your fridge and your freezer so that they're actually blanched. You just drop it on your smoothie, add everything else that you want, you know, an apple and some berries or something, hopefully a fat, and then you're going to have that all the time. Whereas if you try and use just raw kale and, and raw things uh, in your smoothie, you might end up with kidney stones. And a lot of people, as we get older, we get in a hurry and we choking back big smoothies and everything we can and chomping on our kale because we're supposed to be suddenly getting ready for marriage number seven or something. And <clears throat> Sorry, asshole. Meant to be funny. Uh, that, that, that can be the issue with, with things like that. So seaweeds, I would encourage anyone to get to be a gourmet with making yummy foods out of different kind of sea vegetables. Slaws and things to put in as fun spices. Uh, things you can put in crackers to chew on. We're going to get into some fun recipes throughout the, the whole process too. But just to notice, like if you eat those foods most of the time, or at least you know, make sure once a week you buy something like that to, to eat weekly, you're eating foods that are like basically eating vitamins. And uh, you know, 
All the other stuff is good too. It's just not quite as dense when you do the math. So when you look at fats, right? Again, fats don't have any water, but some of our foods contain fats. <clears throat> so you want to try and deal with the whole food. So top of the list again, avocados, eggs. Yolks have to be soft to get those fats still usable. Because when you heat up an egg yolk and it becomes solid, the fat has actually bent and no longer works because it's solid. You can't uncook an egg, but you can thaw out ice. Once it's cooked, it's effed. Kind of like fried, but other effs. In the sense of what it's going to do for you. <clears throat> Coconut oil has become kind of a darling in, in the last few years. Uh, ghee, if you can buy it or clarify your own butter, if you don't have any kind of concerns about uh, dairy at this point. Lots of uh, nuts, uh, seeds. If you're trying to like do your best to narrow things down, I would say if you're going to have your last standout seed, make it pumpkin seeds. Or make it hemp. Or sunflower seeds are pretty good, but pumpkin are nu more nutrient dense. Uh, and hemp hearts. Right? And if you're looking for something super nutrient dense that your grandma would have stuffed in your face most of the time this time of year, cod liver oil. Right? Because um, it's full of uh, not only the kind of anti-inflammatory fats and oils you need to be well and neurologically and immunologically, it also has lots of vitamin D and K2 and other fat-soluble vitamins, right? And that's where, where we really get the benefit. It's not just the fats, we're getting the fat-soluble vitamins as well. And cod liver oil is like eating livers that have been spun really fast and, and then you just get the oil out of it. So, so you're getting you know, the benefit of the livers and the benefit of fats and the fat-soluble vitamins. So go cod liver oil. Super good for you. So let's take a quick drive-by of the do's. And these are obviously common sense, but I just want to give you a little bit of a nudge for, for each one of them. Uh, and again, these are all uh, in the book. And then we're going to kind of have a little, little fun with what, what's the deal with these don'ts anyway. But for the do's, water. <clears throat> you need water. If you're going to be using water therapeutically, try and aim at doing two liters a day. But if you really want to do the best you can with water, try and have one liter in the first two hours. So when I do this, and I admit I don't do this every day, but when I am doing this, uh, I put two 500 mil uh, little mason jars on my counter. I fill them up before I go to bed. So when I wake up, I'm like, oh, that's my job. You know, hopefully before I leave the house, I'll drink all that water. And if I don't, I'll just spin a lid on the mason jar and put it in my truck and try and get that before I you know, get too distracted with everything else. And this reflects that migratory pattern of, of human evolution. Because the hardest thing to carry around before Canadian Tire was selling stuff, the hardest thing to carry around was water. right? It's sloshy, it's noisy, it's hard to control. And when you only have two hands and one's got a kid and one's got a bow and arrow, it's kind of like, where am I going to put the... Don't have a Sherpa. Hmm. Right? So we used to, as, as a species, drink most of our water in the morning and carry it around on the inside until we got to more water. So it's just a, I don't know, call it a hack that comes from a long time ago. Uh, but if you can do that, uh, it's worth it. <clears throat> right now there's, I think, three countries in the world. If you go to a hospital, they'll milk, make you drink that much water in the morning. And if you don't, they'll stick it in your IV and just walk away. All right, Mr. Smith. See you in two hours. Because <laughs> they, they found that you see so much less post-operative infections, so much shorter post-operative stay, so much faster regeneration, because you're doing something your ancestors have done for three million years. Right? And that's a long time. So, <clears throat> sleep. <sighs> I'm staring at these really bright lights. It's about 8 o'clock. 
probably sleep by two. <laughs> Don't recommend doing this as a kind of sleep hygiene. And the reason I bring that up is looking at screens, looking at bright things, you know, big bright lights and stuff. That just tells your brain what time of day it is. Right? So we're going to get into sleep hygiene. If you want to sneak ahead, there's a table of contents in the book. You can look it up and go, oh, okay, that's, that's how sleep hygiene works. But if you have any difficulty sleeping, that's the most effective strategy. It's called sleep hygiene. And there's that enough five pages of details on that in the book. So sleep good. Always try and keep a sense that every time you look at a plate of food, you have to ask yourself, is this an essentially essential meal? Right? Do I need to eat this right now in order to live, in order to not feel pathologically hungry, <clears throat> in, in order to not be growling so loud that I'm scaring my neighbors, or not to become so hypoglycemic that I scare my children? Right? So it's, it's about what's essential for everybody. But try and also make sure that every time you look at a plate, is there enough fat? Because that's the first thing that most of us forget or try and just pretend is still bad for us. If there's no fat on there, it's not a meal. Right? There's got to be a good amount of protein, but usually in, you know, anything about the size of the palm of your hand is enough for any meal. For some people, that's enough for a day. But make sure every meal, fat, protein, okay, great. Now the next thing is, of all the plants I'm going to surround you know, with that or all the plants I'm going to put inside my stir-fry or casserole, do I have something in there that's pretty high fiber? If not, can I mix in something or put it on top of something that's pretty high fiber? Right? Because that, that's what you're, you should be going fat, protein, fiber. <laughs> Next thing is, is it nutrient dense in the sense of lots of colors, lots of flavors? Because that's going to tell you the range of uh, vitamins and minerals and other nutrients. Is there anything fermented in there? And if there's anything that looks like a grain or it's got a bun or a bread or a dumpling around it, it should be having fermented food in it, or the next meal should definitely have something fermented in it. Right? <clears throat> I wouldn't leave it for too many days because the bugs can breed really fast if we don't have those probiotic uh, fermented foods to kind of play with the, who's winning the war of the <clears throat> eating the food first. And then I would go back to cooking restrictions, which is, did you cook it at the temperature of a clay pot or did you fry the crap out of it? And if you did, because you like that flavor or it was necessary for some part of your meal, uh, just remind yourself that that's now a pro-inflammatory food, right? So if you're eating something that's overly cooked in some way, try and make sure you're having something fresh, raw, cooling, or anti-inflammatory with it, because otherwise it's, a, it's an unbalanced meal. And if we can just have that kind of little checklist for the next 10 weeks, you'll get healthier just doing that, right? That, that one simple thing. Is there fat? Is there protein? Is there a good amount of fiber? Is it got lots of colors? <clears throat> Do I need to have a fermented food with this or not? And uh, is it cooked in a way that's super digestible, or did I have a little bit too much fun with my food? And if I did, can I balance that out? On the list of, list of do's, and I know this is going to sound weird, but you know, you're always in the moment, even if you're not. You know, if you're leaning back into the past and dealing with whatever that you know happened back then. I think for myself, I think I, I find myself trying to say something in my head in a conversation I had months ago that would have been really funny. Just to break the tension or something. That would have been funny. I don't have a time machine. What the hell am I doing with my brain? <laughs> Other thing a lot of people do, and I can say I find myself doing this, is rehearsing conversations that haven't happened yet. And I mean, I do a lot of public speaking, so believe me, if you want to meet someone who's rehearsing speeches all day, right? <clears throat> so. Uh, 
when you're rehearsing a, uh, a conversation that you're going to have with somebody that probably matters, you know, to your relationship or something, think of talking points, but try not to get too carried away because they're never going to get the script. Maybe it's just me, but every time I've come up with a really great way to have a conversation with someone in my family, it's like, can I talk to you for a minute? And within like five seconds, it's like, oh, no script. I had a talking point, but I forgot. How are you today? I'm going to go and do the dishes. Cause, right? So, you know, tr try not to get too carried with that. Trust yourself in that sense of childish, creative intuition. Because you, you have the thoughts and feelings you have. You don't need to put them in, into a, you know, a Fort Knox safe before they're the right ones. And in fact, it's going to sound fairly plastic if you come off with something that's really rehearsed anyway. So I'm just saying when it comes to mindfulness, mindset, meditation, the first thing you want to do is realize that we're all doing this really weird thing. And I'm going to make a bit of a joke about something, but it's actually an entry point into something really powerful. So if you're a person who's like, yeah, I'm a bit neurotic, and that doesn't mean broken or a shithead or something. It just means you tend to focus on things that make you nervous because you want to live, right? So if you tend to do that, it just means you're neurotic or you're, you're naturally looking a little bit farther with the periscope of your submarine to what's in the world, right? So I'm going to do this thing, and I'm not in a chair right now, but imagine I'm sitting in a chair, and I'm going to put my thumb in my mouth, and I'm going to do that, right? Because that's what everyone who's really unable to use language does when they're trying to reorientate themselves to something that went wrong in the world. <clears throat> and this is a big part of a really deep practice, which we don't have time to get into right now, but it has to do with past and future. Past and future, I'm going to get hurt. Right? So how can I figure out how to be in the past and in the future in a present enough way to still be present? Right? So if you're thinking about something in the future, don't get carried away. Stay here. It's like throwing a little fishing line up there. Oh yeah, maybe, maybe not. But let's not get carried away with trying to live then or live in the past. Right? Because you can't really apply mindfulness or your mindset or what we call meditation if you can't at least stop springing between the past and future, right? So if you can begin that humorous, you know, game of, okay, I'm really freaking out here, you know, recognize, okay, that's important. You're, you're instinctually trying to solve what's coming at you uh, outside of now. But make sure that you're here now because that's the only person who's going to solve it when it gets here or when you make a decision about it, right? But I think all of us have a sense of, well, yeah, mindfulness, yeah. Mindset, well, once you're mindful enough to realize this is your chance in this moment to move in a certain way, you're going to move in the way your mindset tells you. So start asking yourself, what would if I was coaching myself, what would be the focus? What would be my mind set? Because that's what we mean by mindset. It's like the dials of a, <clears throat> I don't know, uh, the way your car works, you know, temperature here, windshield wipers on or not. Because once you have that set, that's how you, you see yourself moving through the world. Meditation is an Asian word. It's an A-T-I-O-N. Real quick question. What other words end in A-T-I-O-N? Complication. Complication, nice. <clears throat> Communication, right? Reorientation. Oh, Pardon me? Oh, oh. is A-T-I-O-N? Yep. Oh, salivation. Salivation, sure. <laughs> I was going to say, I thought I heard validation, which is oh, good. Elevation. elevation. So anything that ends in Asian has a really unique specific quality to it. It's cooperative, it's mobile, it's interactive, and it starts now. 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 Because if we're in communication, it's a moving thing between the two of us that's going to keep changing. The more present I am to that communication, because of the Asian part, the more I'm actually doing the best job I can with my side of it. 
It's like fencing or something. We would just call it fencationing. <laughs> right? But as long as you can understand meditation is an interaction with the inside world and it's going to start now and keep changing and moving around, hopefully we're going to get out of the idea that my meditation is this iconic moment of I'm in the right posture. <gasps> In the sense of, I finally got it, I'm going to hold it here. That's not what it's about. But a lot of us can get that mindset. If I can just control everything, I'll be okay. And if that's ever worked out for you, I'd like to know how. <laughs> right? So, lots to say there, but just to give you a sense of that. Keep moving. Keep moving in your mind. Keep moving in your heart. Keep moving in your soul. But obviously, keep moving in your body. You know, if I'm doing a lot of work on my computer, I either turn an app on that makes me get up about every 45 minutes, or else I'll turn into a schmoo. Or I get up and go and do a chin-up, or I walk around and clean something, or I go outside for a minute for fresh air, just because if, if you don't remind yourself to move, you will not move. Right? Our, our, whole, our whole focus as a species has become really myopic. Right? So, so it's just an instinct. Oh, well, what should I do like this? <clears throat> right? So it, it takes a bit of work to change that up. Exercise technically means um, you're actually uh, changing the way your body works. So if you're doing some kind of uh, exercise, it means that you're lifting a bit more or you're running a bit farther or a bit faster. Otherwise, it's just movement. Right? Like if I walk five kilometers a day and I can walk 5K a day every day, it's not even exercise anymore. I'd have to walk 7K to be exercising. So we always have to realize there's a boundary threshold that actually proves the, the theory, I'm exercising. Now, if you go into training, that means you're going to be exercising almost every day with a goal. Right? If it's to lose 10 pounds or to be able to pick up you know, 150 pounds or whatever your goal is, <clears throat> you're in training. So your whole life, diet, uh, sex life, sleep life, hydration, scheduling, everything is around training. And I've been an athlete on and off most of my adult life, or been training athletes more, probably more than, than being one. Uh, throughout my life, and I can tell you when I'm training or when I'm training people, my life feels completely under control, completely sensible, <clears throat> it's passionate, it's focused, and it's easy because I've spent 40 of the last 50 years in some way either training other people with a schedule and a goal or training myself with a schedule and a goal. So when we look at this 10 weeks together, think of it as training more than just exercise, and it sure is a lot more demanding than just movement. Because we want to come out of a comfort zone and try something challenging. And if we can do something challenging with a goal and focus on that, figure it, you know, talk to me about how to make sure it's going to work, then you'll get there. But if, you're gonna, if you think you're going to get to a goal through movement, I will try not to laugh in your face. Right? Because I try not to be too much of an asshole, but it just comes up. Right? I'm not actually an asshole. I just have kind of a sardonic sense of humor. So. <laughs> So try and make that distinction in yourself and then notice the people in your life who actually do training and what they're like to be around. People who might do some movement once in a while. What about the people who never do any movement at all? They just don't care. Like think of all the different people you, you know and what, they, what it's like to be them and what would you pick for you? Right? And, and then it's, it's like a, a real clear distinction for yourself. It's not just me. <clears throat> Most important thing I think anyone can do for this kind of a process in the sense of training or in the sense of a cleanse is to start journaling. Now, that doesn't mean you have to sit down for every, you know, every night for two hours and put on Shakespeare's, you know, hat you got off Amazon and a 
feather quill to, I'm going to journal in the most obscure way I can think of. You could just sit there, get home at the end of the day, and just say, okay, good day. Right down, not a really good day. You know, if you're a morning person, wake up in the morning and say, what do I want to do today? Or how was yesterday? So a funny thing, we have this thing in martial arts called 100 days training. And when you do 100 days training, you have to write stuff down every day. It's part of the rules. It's been going on for about 2,000 years. <clears throat> and you learn to write some basic stuff. Or even draw pictures. And it's got an A, B, C. Every day you write down something under A, under B, under C. Under A, this is what was working. Under B, this is what didn't really work, and I want to work on it more. C is what I'm going to start with tomorrow. So whatever you eat or take as supplements today, in the sense of the cleanse, did great. Working out fine. B, had that toast. Damn it, got to get rid of the toaster. <laughs> C, going to get rid of the toaster. <laughs> you know, however it's going to work for you. But what I've seen and what I've done this many times in my life is there's this rolling theme of, of things that are going right and then going wrong. And if you keep going through it, you're going to notice, you know, from a, say, a fitness point of view, yeah, that dislocated shoulder is still giving me trouble and that overstrength on one side is still giving me an imbalance. So I know what I'm training for. Right? And then you have a sense of detail and flow. And, you know, two years from now, you might pick up that journal and go, oh, wow, look at me craving this every 10 days, like clockwork. What's that about? Let's find out. Right, so journaling is really a good idea. <clears throat> and then let's uh, do a quick drive-by of the don'ts. And I think they're pretty obvious, but I just want to make sure we don't, I don't know, passively dissociate from what's really going on here. So worst thing right now for us is sugar. As I will probably say every time we get together, sugar bad. Very bad. About 1906, the first time Canada did a census, they said most affluent families that had access to a railway could get one pound of sugar per year per person. 2014, no, uh, it was 136 pounds per person in Canada and 154 pounds per person in the US per year. That's enough calories to feed you for almost four months. So if you're eating the normal food you eat every day in the sense of food, and then you have four months of extra calories on top of that, where do you think it's going to go? And how much damage is it going to do? Sugar is the worst thing for your brain I could possibly imagine outside of illicit street drugs or, uh, well, sugar's somewhat more chemically interesting cousin. Because, <clears throat> you know, you Fiddle with sugar, just right, it turns into this, right? Now, alcohol, I think we can all appreciate, you know, has sort of goods and bads to it. Uh, I would encourage anyone who's trying to get well just to recognize it's called intoxication because it's poisonous, right? The new research came out recently from the World Health Organization saying, yeah, the number of servings of alcohol per day, per week, or per year for human health should be zero. Right? Not recommending this stuff at all. When you're trying to figure out just basic stuff like uh, digestive health, stomach health, which is so determined by the health of your gut bugs, alcohol is an antibiotic. In the medieval times, we used it as a cheap kind of beer to drink the water full of dead people and poo. Right? So it became, how are you going to have for a drink? I'm going to have the thing that doesn't kill me, which is called mead or ale. You kind of wonder about the genetics of alcohol use in Europe and the rest of human history. But 
Um, if you're going to screw around with your gut bugs, it's like taking antibiotics, right? Another reason, if you're going to have any alcohol, you need the probiotics in your life. And it's not a good idea to eat pill probiotics. You want to have food probiotics. Or avoid the antibiotics like alcohol. Hint, hint. Right? <clears throat> Caffeine. Oh. <sighs> My last little... I love this stuff. It's got 8% of a cup of coffee in it. And it tastes like peaches. Bye. I'll probably have a couple more before I finally give up. But caffeine is really interesting because it changes the way our body relates to adrenaline and a sense of fatigue. We can get into the chemistry maybe another time. <clears throat> but what we really get out of caffeine is a lot of fun in our brain. It secretes a chain of things called uh, catecholamines, which are like stress hormones, but the fun stress hormones. Right? So now we're smart, we're witty, we're quick, and it all feels great until you crash. <clears throat> That's usually like coffee or black tea that have a bit more of a, a you know, woohoo and a, a bit of a crash. Green tea is a bit slower. The optimum caffeine would be matcha because it gets about here and then goes like this for six hours and then goes away. So if you're a person who really feels like you need that shift in your, your brain chemistry and your, your mobility, use matcha. And if you don't mind being a little bit picky, make it into what people call bulletproofed beverage, which means you've got some fat in there and you blend it up. Or if you want to be lazy, just pour coconut milk on top of your matcha and then a bit of hot water and stir it up and drink it so that you can stabilize the caffeine, get more of the real tricky things that are in the matcha plant. And matcha is actually just the top of the green tea plant, right? So the caffeine is not bound in a way that makes it supercharged, right? <clears throat> but there's so many polyphenols and antioxidants in, in that part of the green tea plant, you want all of them. And the thing that makes us absorb food better is fat. Right? And we'll come back to why that works when we learn about your digestive system. But it's brain fun, but caffeine can screw your liver up a little bit. And if we're cleansing, I get the sense that screwed up liver cleansing, not on the same page. Uh, and it can overly uh, demand your adrenals to, to compensate uh, chemically, <clears throat> which can leave you after that crash, if you happen to have something that has that crash, feeling more stressed out than you did before you took the coffee because now you're trying to fight it and you've already depleted your gas tank of the chemicals that you could have used to stay alert. So it's just to say we need to work on that one, most of us, a little bit. You don't have to change all of this this week or today. These are just the sort of the warning signs of things that we're going to want to get into a better relationship with. <clears throat> Gluten, yeah, I know it seems like a fad, but as we've learned the chemistry of why these uh, certain kind of molecules in certain foods are bad, that kind of molecules in every possible grain, it just doesn't explode into gluten in the sense of glad and, and, and the things that, there's not actually, there's nothing called gluten. We, we've been calling that molecule that for 50 years because it's sticky, it's stretchy. So we called it gluten because it was sticky. <laughs> uh, make straight bread though, because <clears throat> it's stretchy enough to make big bubbles, right? And that's, that's why we like it. Uh, every grain has that kind of molecule in it. It just doesn't have what we call gluten in it. They're all hand grenades. Some are small, some are really big, and some are really big and they come with that glyphosate toxin from Monsanto that's in hugely industrial, industrial uh, genetically modified food. Right? So going gluten-free is a good idea, but going gluten-free and then just pigging out on the gluten-free grain bread pasta aisle is not healthier. <laughs> 
you're just eating more sugar, it's just not bad for you sugar in one way. It's still bad for you in every other way. So just FYI, use this fad to just steer you away from the entire aisle of crap food. Never mind steering towards the crap food that's not gluten-loaded crap food. It's still crap, though, in the sense of nutrient density anyway. Tobacco. If you like to smoke tobacco, please get real tobacco. Um, try and turn it into a ceremony. From an Aboriginal point of view, <clears throat> tobacco's always been an ally, and the most you would ever use it would be four times a day, and that would be in the middle of a severe healing crisis, or if you were a shaman, while you were praying over your people or someone who is really sick, right? So it's used to be an ally, but if, even if you were to use tobacco in that way ceremonially, it wouldn't be about inhaling it. It would be about blowing it on people, <laughs> or blowing it into the sky just in case there's someone up there who has a phone call called, or a phone line called tobacco that we can talk to. Who else? <clears throat> for most people, though, it's an enemy just as bad as alcohol because we're using it to compensate for inner turmoil. And from a Chinese medicine point of view, using tobacco and tobacco smoke is like putting a big ring, like a moat around you, saying, anyone who wants to talk to me has to talk to me on my terms and effort. Because we're in this hostile place where we have to control the inside and the outside enough to be okay with now. If you're using tobacco in that way, that's what you're doing. No one's judging you for doing it. Millions of people are doing it every five minutes. It's just to say, oh yeah, that's actually what I'm doing. Can I work on why? As long as you're aware of why, you have a chance to keep moving forward. If you're fighting about the what, you're never going to get anywhere. Funny story. I'm an alcoholic in the sense of I used to drink too much, but I don't right now or hopefully ever again. <clears throat> One day at a time as the rules go, but I'm aware that you know I never want to get into that again. When I first went into counseling for this nearly 20 years ago, and I went to see a therapist who was a really good therapist. And I sat down with him in five minutes. He says, you know, Michael, it isn't about what you're doing. It's about why. And we're in the middle of this weird psychotherapeutic thing. And he's like, I can tell right now you've got this and this and this going on. And it's not about that. And you really need to work on the why. And my jaw hit the floor because I was in there in a pitch battle with alcohol. And I wasn't even that much of a drinker. I was just like, I kind of like this stuff more than I should. And he's like, you should probably stop. And then we talked for five minutes. And he says, there's a why in there. And I'm like, oh, no. So try and think of that with tobacco, alcohol, sex, exercise, other things that you might be doing in a way that's dysfunctional. Okay, we're all doing something like that. Work on the why. If you don't know what the why is, work on finding out. Because that's why you're doing it. <laughs> right? So instead of having an opinion or a shaming opinion about what we're doing, use it as a, like a dashboard light of like, oh yeah, maybe I should pop the hood and find out why. Right? Because that, that's, that's the goal, right? <clears throat> Uh, dairy products, this is the weirdest thing I get to talk to people about because dairy products in general are not actually that bad for humans unless they're pasteurized or homogenized, especially. Homogenized is just destroyed. <clears throat> what's really weird though is, and if we ever do get a time machine, someone should fix this because what's really weird is that when we started importing cattle from the rest of the world into North America, we picked the wrong ones. This is complicated and you can look it up, but when you look at what's called casein, which is one of the most abundant proteins in dairy, and there's lots of versions of it, one of the caseins, <clears throat> we call it A1 or A2. And for whatever reason, North American cows have the A1 casein that when you pasteurize it, it becomes a neurotoxin that's addictive and destructive to your immune system. In Europe and Africa and Australia, they use the A2 cows. So they can get, you, if you actually went to Europe and ate cheese there, and you, were, hey, you had a dairy sensitivity, there's a 70% chance you wouldn't react to it because it doesn't have the bad version of a molecule. 
Whereas randomly we pick the wrong cows <coughs> and pasteurize all of our food into poison. So now we have poisonous cow milk turned into poison through homogenization, which is, I mean, just think of a kid eating breakfast cereal, neurotoxic grains with neurotoxic milk with neurotoxic white sugar on top of it. Remember that was that was what we got for breakfast when we moved to the city. When I lived out in the bush, we just had whatever was not running too fast in the bush. <clears throat> when I moved to the city, it was Cheerios, milk, sugar, and hopefully there was sugar on the bottom of the bowl at the end to have that extra hit before you ran like you know a mile and a half to get to school. So um, try to use your dairy for good. Try not to turn it into a vehicle of neurological death for children because. I wonder why we have so much ADD in the world, why half of our kids are on a psychiatric drug for something. It's like, oh yeah, neurotoxin by three every morning before going into a social situation to form your ego and identity. Couldn't be bad at all. Nothing's gonna go wrong there. <laughs> um, yeah, if you are gonna eat dairy products, please focus on the good stuff, which is local, organic, <clears throat> you know, full fat, preferably if it's a product. Um, the more homogenized or pasteurized it is, the more poisonous it is, honestly. So get the good cows if you're going to eat good cows. Get the full fat if you're going to. Get organic if you're going to. Uh, there are actually milk products that are coming out now that are labeled as A2 milk that are shipped all the way across the world for all of us poor North Americans to pick the wrong cow, man. <laughs> Got to build the, you're an engineer. Are you close? <laughs> get a time machine together. <laughs> we need one. Fix the cows. There's a book out there, what's it called? Hard to Swallow. It's the first classic medical textbook, textbook but research book on food additives. <clears throat> Interesting name for the book, Hard to Swallow. <laughs> uh, and it just goes through everything that's wrong with everything we add to our food for silly reasons. Like, oh, I want it to look like fuchsia. It's like, oh yeah, it might cause cancer, but we can get that color just right. <laughs> So there's a lot of different, uh, there's hundreds of different uh, food uh, additives. Try and get into the habit if you're still buying packaged food to just start read the package. Don't feel good or bad about it. Just start getting into the habit of going like, there are so many things in there I cannot pronounce or would not be able to spell if I walked away from this for more than two minutes. And if that's the case, try not to buy it. It's just, it's full of things that do not make sense. We actually have a saying when it comes to shopping, if you're going to try and get healthy and you want to keep it the least amount of complication possible, stick to the wall. Go to the store, get your cart, produce, meat, fat, other stuff. Maybe sneak into the aisle with some blinders on and a friend and a rope to get the dried spices and maybe a can of oil or something and then run back outside. Because you're, you're, you're doing a, you just want to stay out of the aisles if you can. Don't go in there alone. <laughs> it's like a horror movie. Uh, and this is sort of the, the same thing, but the next thing is, is just, again, stick to the wall. Avoid the processed stuff. I mean, we are all, it's amazing when you look at commercial marketing strategies, placement, color, geographic stuff, uh, shapes. Humans are so easily, I don't know, I just think of like a bee crashing into a window trying to get to a flower. We're just so unaware of what we see and what we think and how we behave but it's a flower to a bee. Like there's things in nature that you're just driven to get closer to because of how they look. Right? We just don't realize we're banging into something that isn't a flower, it's not even food. <clears throat> the fact that they can call it junk food food makes me kind of, I don't know, feel like going into politics. Can we just call it junk? Okay, good, I'm done, thank you, bye. <laughs> 
salt. Turns out you need it. The word salt comes, or the word salary actually is where we use the word salt from. It used to be uh, a form of money. <clears throat> Aboriginal people used to actually carry dried seaweeds and salt they'd make on beaches. Over all the mountains from the west coast to here, they actually were called the greasy trails because they would carry fish grease and, and seaweed and salt 80 or 90 miles into the, the interior of British Columbia and then trade it for things that were desired on the other side of the hills. And that's been going on for probably 10,000 years. Right? So salt is a really important thing because it's full of trace minerals. Table salt, however, is not. Right? Table salt is a biochemically produced you know, tissue that basically just gets you know, put in boxes. <clears throat> it tastes salty, it has sodium in it, but it's not balanced out with things that are really good. I will say, for those of us who still think if you take salt, you're going to get high blood pressure and die, there's actually no medical evidence for that either. It's based on one idea. So that, that's not like a, oh my God thing. But if you are going to have salt, sea salt or Himalayan salt. And if you want to be a snobby cook, <clears throat> hint, hint. I'll start this this way. The last time you were in a really nice gourmet restaurant, where did the salt and pepper shaker go on the table? Trick question. No cook who, yeah, no cook who knows how to cook would give you permission to touch the salt and pepper, which is why the waitress and waiters come by and say, would you like some freshly cracked pepper? And you go, oh, I'm so snobby, yes. Give me some cracked pepper. And we're like, oh, yes, and the cook's in the background. You touch my food, you die, right? <laughs> right, because in cooking, you actually use a tiny, tiny bit of salt at the beginning so that the chemistry of water changes so that all the flavors can work together, which is why it's called seasoning. It makes flavors tastier because they get to mix together. And then you might just finish your meal with a touch of salt and a touch of fat because that's what makes it gourmet because now it's finished for sweet and salt because fat tastes sweet in our mouth. And then you serve it to people and if you want to be badass, you have a pepper shaker in your hand and it's like a holster with like a lid. So anybody want pepper? And they say, give it to me. And you're like, no. Only the cook controls the food. But but that's why that works that way in gourmet restaurants, because they don't want you fiddling with what they do. It's a science, right? And an art. You don't want to pee on somebody's painting. Just shake salt all over it. That's nice. <laughs> and then we come to the good old-fashioned uh, other choices we make around over-the-counter medications, what I would call lifestyle medications, <clears throat> things that allow you to kind of feel, function, and, and, and do things you want. You know you could probably solve another way, but just don't have the time or the, the knowledge or the wherewithal to do so. Right? <clears throat> and then there's actual medications you need for symptom management. But if we can find other ways to focus on those, hopefully over time you can get those the pharmaceuticals out of your, your, your list of things you need to, to be well. I'm not telling you to stop any medication you've been prescribed. I'm suggesting that we make kind of the goal to reduce your number of medications as much as possible, but in a very sensible medical scientific way. But if you're just using stuff because it's easy, fun, quick, and you know there's another way to handle it, focus on doing that as much as you can. Because then you're not just popping pills, because you will eventually build up a tolerance and need more. And almost every pharmaceutical drug has a secondary negative side effect. There's only one I know of that doesn't out of thousands of medications. <clears throat> so that's, I don't know, interesting statistics. Uh, yeah, so, ta -da! I think I'm just on time. Yes. 
So usually I don't leave a lot of time in the first one because there's not a lot of questions because it's just sort of an overview of where we're going. Um, next time we're going to start diving into um, basically what intention is and what organizing goals are like for the first part of the conversation because uh, we really want to make sure that we're really, really clear on why we're doing this and what we're planning on doing. Uh, we do not have to share before and after. Well, at this point it would be the before pictures. It isn't that kind of a competition. It isn't about whether or not you look a certain way. This is just a, a really potent learning opportunity, but you're going to learn so much more out of it if you make it really clearly personal to what your intentions, your needs are, and making some decisions about what your goal is, because then I'm not presuming, you're not leaving it up in the air, you know, nobody else is guessing as to what you're really trying to do, and then the way you communicate about these things can be much more clear as well. Right? So, so next week is going to be kind of like a coaching session on, on really just how to formulate decisions, touch in really deeply with some whys, and then move ahead knowing that you're not like overreaching too much. Because that's what usually makes people kind of fall in their heads. <clears throat> so I'm officially done with what I have to say. I'll leave it open for questions if there are any. But I think most people should be ready to go and stick to the wall in the grocery store and not buy that bottle of whatever on your way home. And... I have a question. Please. Um, when you talked about fermented food, um, I didn't catch it whether you were every a minimum of every other day or every other meal? So can people hear the questions online? No. Okay, I'm just checking because I want to adapt to this new microphone. Okay, <clears throat> so the question is around how often should you use fermented foods? And I would say based on how often you eat things that are going to feed the bad bugs. So if you're having rice, pasta, bread, croissant, muffin, cookie, pasta, stuff like that, you're eating an acellular starch which is going to feed those bugs like crazy. Right? So do, do what most of the traditional cultures in the world do, is just have a lump of sauerkraut or kimchi or, or something in there that, that you can dip uh, that's, that's got uh, fermented food in it. And I would say try and, you don't have to do it at the same meal, I would say do it like the meal after or the day after, because that's when you're going to need it the most, unless you're having some every day. Typically when I'm cleansing, I start every day. But I'm going to throw this out there. Um, I don't know much about most of the people that are live on this right now. <clears throat> Hopefully I'll know as we get to know each other. I don't know anything about people who are going to see the recording because a bunch of people couldn't be here tonight. So I need to say this. If you eat and then get bloated and look like you're four months pregnant almost after every meal, especially any kind of carbohydrate or sugary thing, do not eat fermented food. You will just get more mentally whacked out to be all technical and stuff. <laughs> right? The only way to use fermented food if you're that sensitive around carbohydrates that you blow it up every time you eat them <clears throat> is to literally take a tablespoon of juice from your sauerkraut or kimchi and put it in a glass, cover it with olive oil, stir it up, maybe throw in some basil or something like that, and use it as salad dressing. Because that's your beginning dose, which is one tablespoon poured over a big bowl of salad. Right? Because you want to start nudging in, in a direction gradually. Because if you start a bacterial war in your body, your brain is going to be full of bug poo and dead bug elbows and ears. Because all of that stuff just explodes. And we call it bug sweat, actually. So if I'm a bacteria <clears throat> and the immune systems come along to chop off my head, I start to sweat. It's a metaphor. What I sweat is a kind of acid that goes through your gut uh, membrane into your blood like that. And then it goes through your blood-brain barrier like that. So every time you have a bug war, you get the bug sweat into the brain <clears throat> and you're literally uh, going to have 
poor memory, brain fog, fatigue, uh, low energy, low mood. You could turn out to be anxious or paranoid. Just depends on where the inflammation is. So again, if you're having really weird digestive symptoms all the time, don't do not take oral probiotics. Use probiotic foods by the tablespoon as a part of a dressing. Or, and I'm somewhat bemused, we're going to be getting close to ending with this, or stick it up your ass. And I don't mean that as the insult version of saying that, because probiotics are a lot easier for your body to adapt to when they go into the end of that highly populated environment instead of through the top. Right? So just, just throwing that out there. We're going to get into all of that detail and strategy when it's time to actually medically treat that part of your body. But I just don't want to leave anyone going off to buy a big bucket of kimchi and call me in two days going, I'm going to die. I can't remember my kid's name or something. Because if you, you overdo it, it could be crazy. But that's it's just if you're having that really bad bloat after you eat. Otherwise, you should be fine. So if there's any other questions, let's... I, I have sort a of question. Michael? Yep. Sandy here. Hi, Sandy. Um, what should we be doing in this next week? What kind of food choices should we be making? More do's, less don'ts. Pardon me? More do's, like yeah. all the do's we covered, less don'ts. It's not about black and white at this point. It's about just gradually turning around. Okay. Right, if we get too urgent at the beginning, we're going to power out before the middle, and that's where it actually matters. Right? So tortoise, hare. I think the tortoise won. So we're going to be good turtles. Turtle tribe. <laughs> what are the options that like you mentioned? Sauerkraut and kimchi, like for store-bought fermented foods. Uh, anything else? So again, the question is about fermented foods in the sense of different kinds. So sauerkraut, kimchi, kefir, kombucha, kvass. They all start with K for some reason. <coughs> um, almost entirely. Um, I wouldn't try probiotics as, as, a, as a supplement at this point, unless later on we come to realize you need them. But uh, the, the main thing is just you know learn about them. You know, go on Google fermented foods. How many kinds are there? Try making them in your kitchen. They're really easy. Take thing, add salt, mash up, rinse salt off in a couple of days, let rot, <coughs> control rotting to turn into lactic acid, and boom, you have probiotic foods. There's actually a recipe for all that stuff in the cookbook, so we'll be uh, a week late in getting the cookbooks to people, but <clears throat> I'll be emailing you the uh, ebook version tomorrow, so you'll have access to all those recipes. But you can just go kimchi, and it takes four days to get it really going, but once you're going, you're, you're good to go. Question about vitamin D and cod liver oil. Is it better to take the natural cod liver oil versus the vitamin D capsules? It depends on the situation entirely. So uh, I would start with something your grandma would give you and then get more into what you might require for treatment when we're at a point in which we're actually knowing enough about you to look at treating something. Right? Or just take vitamin D three times a day because it's fall and in Canada that's just smart. And if you're a woman over... Or if you're a woman over 35, you should be taking vitamin D3 with K2 three times a day all winter. So, good question. Why three times a day? So I'm going to do a little metaphor. And if you need to cl close out of this, I'm not going to be insulted. So um, imagine that there's a construction site. 
And because I don't want to offend anyone, it's a Simpsons cartoon construction site. Because now I can be not PC and because it's a Simpsons cartoon. <clears throat> so you got a bunch of 20-year-old guys with t too much testosterone and power tools. The construction site is a metaphor for how your body repairs itself. Too much testosterone and power tools. Mm. Now you get some old fart in there with a clipboard and a white hat. All of a sudden the construction site's going to look a lot less like a Simpsons cartoon and a lot more like building a house. Because that's you have what's called regulation. <clears throat> vitamin D isn't a vitamin, it's an immune-regulating hormone. If you take an immune-regulating hormone that's fat-soluble, as a scavenger, your body will store it in your liver for the day you didn't have enough. Like the crucial not enough. Like this might, I might need this in case I die later. But if you have it every day, all day, three times a day, and it has a few hour cycle of interaction, so you keep adding to that cycle of interaction, your body will actually have the experience of, did you notice that someone grew a gland that's secreting that hormone now? It's like all day, every day. It's just here. I guess we don't have to be scavengers about it because it's, you know, a check in the mail every six hours or eight hours. And your whole body adapts to, hey, guess I got that hormone in abundance. Abundant health. <clears throat> all right? So it's just being able to train your body to adapt to things that uh, it needs in a way that it actually will regulate itself. Because taking it once a day will not do that at all. It'll help you a bit, but it will not help you a lot. Is that a good idea to take it with food? Doesn't matter. Okay. Good. I mean, if you're taking it, it's usually going to come in a glycerol or a MCT oil or another kind of oil in a capsule. If it's a powdered dried thing, then take it with fat. And the K2? Sorry, I'm... Yes, and the K2. Three, three times a day. They, they come together in the same pill. So yeah, if you're going shopping for D3, get the D3 with K2. It'll be 10 to 1. I take that probably three times a day every day as soon as it gets dark or starts to get dark when I'm, you know, before it's supposed to or used to or about now. <laughs> probably from like the equinox to the equinox is when I'm really big on that. Because I have autoimmune condition problems, sometimes I'm using that to just stabilize my immune system. So it doesn't matter time of year, I'm using it as a medicine. What is K2? Uh, it's not K1. <laughs> uh, K1 you can't buy because it'll kill you if you take too much. K2 is something that mobilizes calcium in and out of wounds and in and out of membranes. And it actually is the thing that pulls apart the membrane that causes arterial arteriosclerotic placking in your vessels. So if you have enough K2, it can actually deconstruct the plaque. Not all at once. You're not like, I took one, yay! It's more like, okay, do that for a few years, and over time you'll get rid of the placking. Because <clears throat> it's all about regulation, right? Vitamin D regulates the inflammation, so then the calcification of the, the plaque is less. K2 regulates calcium movements, so and now the calcium can leave. And that's what causes the plaque to get hard. Oh, <laughs> just have to be an asshole here, but like if you're not asking me a question, I'm going to stand here and go, uh-huh. <laughs> I like coffee too, sure. Uh, de decaf, try and get the water decaf if you can. It's still going to have caffeine in it. It's still going to have some rancid oil in it from the beans. So it still might be a bit caustic in the sense of gastritis and stuff. So you've gotten rid of the caffeine, but you haven't gotten rid of the inflammation. But if you just can't live without the taste of coffee, Okay, but if you'd like to try something like roasted dandelion root, 
beverage. Tastes almost the same as coffee. If you plug your nose and hit yourself on the head like five times, it tastes exactly like coffee. <laughs> try, try the matcha, and if that doesn't work, de decaf coffee will work. Try and skip days, though, just to see if you can change what sati satiation feels like for you. That's something we're going to get into next week is how satiation actually works as a, a fundamental structure of being. You cannot set goals if they're not satisfying. And you can't get there if getting there isn't satisfying either. But satisfying doesn't mean party on, dude. It means I can handle this. It's not that bad. It may not be the party from Friday, but it's not that bad. I can, I can 10 weeks. I mean, come on. You're over 30. 10 weeks already went by. <laughs> Here's a simple question, Michael. Um, eggs three times a week. Is that two eggs per serving or is that one egg? For three times a week. It's just eggs. Two, three, five, twenty. Just how many? How many days in a row your immune system says, "Hey, egg." Oh, so a couple eggs three oh, times a week. Up, up, up to you. If you like eggs, have a. I mean, if if you don't react to them and they're and they're mostly good for people, I would just have poached eggs on everything. Three days a week. Oh. <laughs> It's, it, just think about eggs as something that pokes your immune system in the eye, and your 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 immune system eye has a four-day threshold. You hit it four times in a row, it's going to say, "Hey, now I'm mad." Right? So, just spread it out. So, is there anything I, you know, uh, granted grains, but is there anything more digestible with a sourdough bread? So, when you're looking at grains that have been fermented. Uh, in the sense of a sourdough starter. <clears throat> Some of the bigger prolamine or proteins that are dangerous are pre-fermented or pre-digested into usable proteins. And some of the easy-to-digest sugars are gone. So the glycemic hit of, of bread's a lot less dangerous uh, in that way. <clears throat> but it wouldn't have bubbles in it if it didn't have a, an active gluten structure still in it. Although it may not be chemically gluten, it's still that structure in grains. So if you're eating any kind of grain, regardless of its sourdough, if it has bubbles, it, it has stretched out proteins that can hurt you. We're not trying to make huge moves this week. Kind of like first date, hey, how's it going? This is what we're up to. Let's move in that direction and start changing things as it makes sense. Because you start too fast, you burn out, and then when it gets important, you're too tired or <clears throat> you've used up your willpower or, or whatever. We're going to keep working on this part of it because that's obviously the most important part is the part of you that's actually like steering the wheel every day through this because that's the memory you're left with is, man, I just did 10 weeks of really clear driving. I'm going to keep doing that. I know how now. It feels really good, right? If you try and be a race, race car driver, races are meant to end pretty quick, right? So more nutrient-dense food, more water in the morning. Better sleep if you have a sense of how that could look in your life, right? Mindfulness, you know, play with it. We're not trying to change a lot right now. We're just getting rid of the big bad don'ts. Sugar, alcohol, caffeine. If you're already there, <clears throat> look ahead in the book. You know, have some fun with it. But um, most of us, that's where we start. You know, and, and give yourself time. I mean. The secret idea behind all of this, which I don't think is that much of a secret, is I'm trying to help people make these decisions for the long term. So whatever we're doing now, it shouldn't feel like a car accident. It should feel like 
you know, a gradual shift away from some things so we can keep going for as long as you can, months and years. Right? You know, for a few weeks in the middle of this, it's going to be a cleanse. Right now, it's just, hey, yeah, this is common sense. Yeah, I don't know anyone besides a very few people that I know in the military that would do this for 10 weeks as a hard cleanse and not screw that up at all. So I don't even try to make everyone do that because it would just stress everybody out. It's not even that fun. Right? This is meant to be learning, and learning is about laughing, which is why I try and be funny. With a capital T. <laughs> okay, so uh, I'm still cool to answer questions, but there's... Hopefully that, that satisfied your curiosity. What am I really doing right now? Less of the bad, more of the good. No black and white. No gas pedal, just steering. <clears throat> cool? Okay, so I'll be getting everyone everything you don't have as fast as I can. Four days ago we were canceling this because I didn't think I was going to be back in time. But it's going to happen. It's just going to be bonky for the first week. So, still here, but I'm good if you're good. All right.